0: Well, bye. all you needies, twits, sting bats, and social reprobates, this is Webra Norm welcoming you to another electrifying, stimulating, and totally off the wall sensational episode, of Killed by Desk. The only show that answers the question that no one's asking what's us misfit musicians, weirdo artists, and oddball seamster to mainstays do to make a living? Prepare to have your minds completely and totally blown by the details you never thought you'd want to know the ups, the downs, the conference calls gone wrong, the coworker questions, the dress codes, and what they've learned and what they wish they had. And if they're at all happy, where they are and what they've become from selling out to doubling down. Let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio.
1: Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell.
2: Hey, it's Dave Harrison.
3: All right, today we've got Chris Sherry. He is the artist behind The Descendants, those squarish
2: Milo Is it
3: drawings. Milo? Yes, it's Milo. He does a, all in Descendants, but he does a lot of other art, and professionally, he's a high school drama teacher.
2: This is a cool one. I mean, I saw an interview with him and reached out to him because I thought he'd make a good interview, and I'm really happy that I did. Yeah. He, he has
3: a YouTube video where he talks about trying to mesh his professional life with the other other identities he has as an artist and as a dad and things like that, and uh, it, it really spoke to what we think a lot of this podcast is about.
2: And he talked about going to clown college, or not going to clown college. He talked about oh, it in the I interview,
3: Not in a TED Talk.
2: (laughs) That's a separate TED Talk topic. You want to save that goal for later.
1: So you two could decide between clown college or teacher's college.
2: Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It also has like a very unique view on teaching as a whole too, which I didn't expect. It was a lot of fun. The guy's really a lot of fun. He's a lot of energy.
1: I was surprised. I seemed to agree with him on some of yeah. there you
2: go. Yeah, <laughs> the teaching stuff. I, I definitely didn't expect that, but that worked out really well. And I loved asking him questions about hunting down obscure old punk and hardcore bands and doing t-shirts for them. Yeah. This, no, it's, it's yeah, really cool. This
1: podcast.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's a business. Hey, I think think there's something about making a living, but also keeping your sanity and keeping your creative juices flowing at the same time. So I think Chris does it really well. I think he sets a really good example. And let's roll the tape. All right, Chris. I uh, usually start this out, if you could just tell us who you are and what you do for a living.
4: Sure. Okay. So, uh, my name's Chris Sherry. I, for a living, I guess I'm a, I'm a drama, a high school drama teacher in Stockton, California at Lincoln High School. You know, in addition to that, I also am, a, I guess a, I'm a, a punk rock artist. Cool.
3: Yeah, we watched, you did a TEDx talk about blending your work and your other activities and trying to figure out, you know, could you just explain? what the theme of that talk was? And what was the point you were trying to make?
4: Basically, uh, a friend of mine just contacted me and he was like a coordinator for his school district down in Southern California and um, in out in Riverside. And uh, he just said, Hey, uh, you know, I've, I've got the opportunity to get all kinds of different people doing these TED talks. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, ah, yeah, I guess so. And you know, my wife was really excited about me doing it. And I said, Well, you know, what do you want me to talk about? I mean, do you want me to talk about being an educator or being an artist? Or you know, I, honestly, I had no idea what they wanted me for. So he was like, Well, you know, just talk about you know whatever you want. And I was like, I don't, I don't work really well like that. I mean, I kind of need a little bit more direction. So I kind of went back and forth and back and forth on it. And and I realized I was having a really hard time figuring out what to talk about because, you know, I do have these two very distinct lives. I've got my teaching life and then, you know, my art life. And so it just dawned on me that that was the perfect topic was to talk about the balance that I have to make between being, you know, like an artist as well as being a full-time, you know, drama teacher. And, um, you know, the drama teacher is really the thing that pays the bills. And then the art stuff, it's supplemental. So like if that helps out with bills, that's cool but you know so really the the talk was about how can you how can you balance and still have you know like things that you're very passionate about not be your primary source of income and um, you know because there's just so many people I think that that just let go of things that they're passionate about because they're worried that it's not going to pay the bill so uh, that, I think that was you know the main gist of the the talk
3: that's great because it's it, it just felt we felt like it felt it felt really fitting for this podcast that you talked you happened to talk about that
4: even though you kind of went
3: around about and wrote like the Gary Sh Shea- Handling show theme where they asked you
4: (laughs) right, (laughs) they gave you a
3: problem and you made the problem into the presentation, which is awesome.
4: Yeah, I mean that was exactly what it was. So uh, yeah, and then when you guys got a call to me, I was like, well, this is kind of like the TED Talk I did. I was like, I I don't know if anybody really wants to talk to me. You can just watch the TED Talk and you know save yourself (laughs) (laughs) now.
2: But there's, I feel like there's so much more to dig into. I mean, I, I I feel like when you were talking about the passion that you get from art, you were almost downplaying the passion that you have for teaching. And especially when we got a chance to speak to Lori, to your wife, that she talked about how much teaching was a huge part of who you are. And it almost seemed like it got the short end of the stick in your TED talk, maybe to prove a point. But also, you know, it did seem like you know teaching does kind of trigger that passion response from you as well.
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, but what I've found is that, you know, in in the teaching world, people that really, you know, pat themselves on the back for for being a teacher or for a program that they work with and everything, anybody that I've ever run into that's really self-congratulatory, they're basically narcissist. <laughs> And it's it's awful because you know unfortunately I I have been around you know different educators that I'm like I I can't stand you they somehow or another think that they're they're so high and mighty because of what they do and um, it's just really off putting so I think I I purposely downplay that because it it's just something it's a quality that I see in other people that I find really distasteful so yeah I guess I do downplay it.
2: Well, you've also gotten to be the cool, te- I mean, you, not only because of your background, although we, we've talked to previous guests and, and I want to ask you this later about whether kids even give a crap about punk rock and that kind of stuff anyway. But, uh, but, you know, you were an art teacher and then a drama teacher, which are the cool classes. Like there, it's a good, you know, like it's not like you're a math teacher or anything like that where people have to sit through your class. Usually they would make a choice to be in your class. It's an elective, you, right? Yeah. It's you get elective. to be the, you get to be the cool teacher anyway because they, they chose to be, you know, to spend their time with you.
4: Yeah, yeah, you know, man. I, I'm automatically I kind of have an advantage over a lot of other teachers because, like you said, they chose to be in my class. I mean, the- I guess I should say theoretically they chose to be in my class. Sometimes <laughs> it winds up. It sometimes it winds up that I just get kids dropped into my class, and you know, I, I tell them, well, you know, this is this is an acting class. Like, are are you here because you want to be acting? And you know, if they're just like, yeah, I don't know, I'm like, dude, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> well, you you definitely need the class because you you're acting like you want to be here and you don't. So I don't know what to tell you. But normally, you know, the kids that I do get are really pretty gung-ho about, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, for me, it's always kind of weird because I don't come from any kind of drama background at all. So, like, the stereotypical... Drama teacher that you might think of is definitely not me. And like, I've had kids before, you know, like there's this, this really stupid superstition that, oh, you can't say Macbeth in a theater or you're going to have bad luck and you can't tell a kid good luck on something. It's break a leg. Well, I didn't grow up with any of that stuff. So none of that makes any, any sense to me. And I'm approaching this very much from like my punk rock background, which is you can probably figure out how to do it. So teaching and, and doing drama can't be that hard. I mean, you know, you can probably figure it out and wing it, and um, you don't necessarily need to have a tremendous amount of background to be able to do something effectively. So I don't, I don't have that background, and so I think I really discourage a lot of the really stereotypical drama kids, and I wind up getting like these really weirdos that are are like they don't (laughs) fit in anywhere. So it's like I've made this this beautiful little home for weirdos in my school. So. do
3: the other teachers resent you? No, I.
4: You know, <laughs> to be really honest, I don't have an awful lot of interaction with other teachers, much at all. I, I never really have very much, and um, you know, I kind of keep them at arm's length because I'm not there for other teachers. I mean, they're doing their job, and I'm assuming they're doing it really well. But ultimately, I don't, I don't really care about what other teachers are up to. I'm, I'm interested in my students, so I definitely think a lot of them don't get what I'm doing, and I, you know, honestly, I really doesn't bother me in the least bit, but, um, I feel like I'm very much like a little island because I'm the only drama teacher to begin with, and um, you know my department is pretty much one. It's just me. So when like we have like meetings and they're like, "Well, meet with the other people in your department," I'm like, "You want me to just meet with myself? What am I going to get myself a cup of coffee?" And um, so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I I think I think a lot of the other teachers at the school, um, you know, like I said, don't really get what I do, and um, and and that's fine. I mean, it doesn't really make any difference to me.
2: How hard is it? to get your average student who maybe is dropped in your class that's a little bit of an introvert, how hard is it to get them to break out of their shell? I I mean, I I think we all remember those teenage years of just, you know, being afraid of being made fun of for doing something. Is that the hardest part of what you do?
4: You know, I I don't know that it is, you know, because in in my class, it's like, like I said, I mean, I'm kind of like this little island, um, you know, the island of misfit teenagers or whatever. And, um, you know, I just get these kids that I think get a sense of community in in the class. And once there's, there's like the understanding that, you know, you can be flawed and and people will still enjoy you really gets through to a lot of kids. So the ones who are open to that are going to do really well. And so it's not necessarily getting them out of their shell. But if I do have kids that, you know, like their parents are like, Hey, you're you're really shy. You need to, you need to come out of your shell. get in this class. Like your parents signed you up for their class. Like they're not sitting in here every day you are. So a lot of times those kids just flat out drop out of my class because it's it's not a good fit for them. Um, you know, and I, I do the best that I can to get through to kids. But if if I've given them an assignment and they're working on like a monologue or something or a scene with someone else, if they're super unmotivated, they just won't do it. And you know, I can't make them perform. So, you know, there are kids that I wind up losing, but they don't typically get in the class. But like I said, they sometimes they are dropped in there and it's like, okay, let's see what happens. And surprisingly some of the kids that do get dropped in, if they're open to the fact that it's a supportive environment, a lot of them really thrive and find that they're really good at something that they didn't realize.
2: But otherwise, it's almost like a judge forcing someone to go to AA. You know, it's yeah. like it's
4: like you yeah, know, you're, exactly.
2: not gonna, you're not going to you're not going to make them decide to take it up. Yeah, that's a uh, that's really interesting.
1: Well, I mean, it seems like from what you're saying, it, it's really a good idea to drop
4: people in the class because some of them uh, wind up thriving and maybe they had no direction. Yeah, th- I mean, that's that's for sure and. Uh, um, you know, it, like I said, it's it's this place where where kids that maybe don't feel like they belong or have a home can you know because the, the stereotypical like you're not going to get the most athletic kids in your class that's kind of true. Um, although I I got kids that are football players and cheerleaders and you know do track and baseball, but a lot of kids that just haven't found their home yet just get in there and if they're open to it, yeah, they may find that they're they're quite good at it. And you know, at the end of the day, all I really care about is that kids are leaving my class and they know how to give a proper job interview and they can get better jobs or if they're interested and attracted to somebody they can speak better in public to somebody that they're interested in so if they get that out of my class then they're in good shape
2: and that's and, and, you know it's funny you said that in the in the TED talk you said something about you know people saying that you know being being a little bit upset when when uh you had students saying that they weren't going to pursue acting or things like that where you know I see there being such a more you know, such a universal value to to what you do. I mean, I I work in in public relations and marketing, and so much of my life on a daily basis is performing. So much, you know, and, and and it's it's for an audience of someone that you know either we want to get a paycheck from them or we want them to to work with us in some way. And so much of that is acting, and so much of that is is stuff that I wish I had learned in a class because I am nowhere, you know, I I had to learn on the fly. I guess that's kind of the punk rock way of doing things. But you you know you kind. And just figure out what do people react too well, what do they react too poorly, and how do you how do you temper that so each time each interaction's a little better than the last one.
3: Hey Charlie, did you did you have any drama classes in your high school?
1: No, I didn't have any drama classes. But I'll tell you what I noticed: I noticed a lot of kids today. They really aren't good at public speaking, and they tend to shy away from public speaking. And this is completely foreign to me. I can't understand it at all.
4: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, like they, I a few years back they did a study, and you know they said, okay, well, what are Americans' top fear? And you know the number one fear was public speaking, followed by death i <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you know, the analogy is like, okay, you would rather die than speak in public. I mean, like studies show people would rather die. And you're right. I mean, like people just, you know, kind of clam up and and get really freaked out about that. Because really when it comes right down to it is you're worried that people are going to judge you. I mean, that's that's the reason people are worried about it. So, you know, I always work on in my class, as long as it's a supportive environment, then kids are going to take chances that they wouldn't take. I I want people to judge me
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, you give me the microphone i thrive on it i go up to make a speech
4: and it's you know always better than i think it's going to be. right well and you know and and if someone is judging you good or bad at least you're getting honest feedback that's true i'll tell you yeah when they're cheering me and going crazy and cheering out my name i know i'm getting
3: well <laughs> 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 I mean, it, it's 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 just made me think, right? Like, what's the point of school itself? Then it sounds like this overcoming fear thing is a big piece of it for yeah, any I, any any class, really. That,
1: that, that's why homeschool doesn't work. <laughs>
3: Yeah. What do you say, Chris? What do you think about that? Overcoming fear.
4: I I think you're going to have to be public speaking in some place. I mean, it could be in a science class. It could be you know, in a history class, whatever. You're going to do presentations and stuff like that. And I find that kids that have had my class are going to leave. And when they leave my class, they're going to be much better at all of that stuff. They're not going to shy away from it. And chances are they're going to do better in other classes in the first place because they're not, you know, kind of kicking back and not speak in their mind. So, you know, to me, I think most kids need to get more comfortable with that. And if they are, they're going to succeed better. I mean, it's just, it's simple.
2: Well, in your, in your career, Chris, is, is that something that came naturally to you? I mean, I read about the story of how you started working with the descendants in the first place, and it seemed like you just kind of reached out to them and bugged them until they were like, okay, cool, let's do this. Uh, is that something, that persistence and that ability to kind of just go out there and, and and be okay with a no, but 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 kind of pursue that yes? Did that come naturally to you? Or did you have- have to learn that.
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I was kind of like, um, I don't know that I was obnoxious necessarily in high school, but, um, I, I was never afraid to speak my mind about things and, you know, very gregarious, but also I really liked the idea of just like, just retreating into my room to draw or listen to music or whatever. And, um, you know, I could kind of turn it on and off again, but I never really had any problem, you know, making a fool of myself or getting shot down for something or whatever. So t- for me, yeah. I mean, and it worked out really good because, you know, I the way I looked at it, like I'm not gonna be in a band. I've done that and I, I'm not great at it, and I, I don't really desire that. But if I want to be involved in music and and you know that kind of thing, I can contribute in the artwork. So I'm not gonna really always take no for an answer. So if I hear, you know, like a band's getting ready to do another record, I know they're gonna be touring. And if it's a band that I'm interested in, I might just pitch them something completely out of the blue. And I've never had really any problem with that. And I figure, well, why why not? I mean, especially if you look at you know like a, a band who you know you really like their artwork's not all that great. That's always given me like the impetus to just ask them because maybe they're struggling with it and they don't really know where to go.
2: Well, I mean, that was really interesting to me when you know I saw some of the bands that you've done. You know, whether it's a limited edition T-shirt or something like that, you've gone after some bands that you know are not even household names necessarily in the punk scene. We just talked to Bobby Sullivan from from Soulside. Oh but- yeah. It's yeah. actually our, our episode this week. And I saw you had actually commented on something saying, you know, how do I get the design for this t-shirt? I want to work with this or something like that. And it's like, how do you, you know, you must get a lot of people that are like, why the hell do you even want to do a t-shirt for us? You know, like, where are we going oh, to sell yeah. this?
4: Well, I mean, you know, I'm first and foremost, like I'm, I'm just a, a fan of music and I I listen to a lot of it. And because of that, I've just always been, all right, well, if I'm really excited about a band, you know, I can approach them. And, you know, with a band like Soulside, I had done some designs for them back in the late 80s. And um, I don't think I ever really even sent it to them. Bobby and I had been, you know, pen pals for a while. You know, I I was like, I really want to do something. And I did stuff for his band, Seven League Boots, that they did after Soulside. And um, the band kind of fizzled. Nothing ever wound up happening with that. So I was always like, okay, I really want to do something. So, within the uh, past couple of years, I did something that we wound up doing through Bifocal Media um, that does the limited edition shirts. And I think, you know, Bobby was really open to the idea because, you know, we kind of had been talking about it for, you know, 30 years. And with Bifocal, (laughs) The best part is, is that like, they just do like a pre-order, but with a limit. So they, you know, they say, we're only going to make 300 of these shirts. So great. If it does happen to be a smaller band, you know, maybe, you know, you start off and you sell like 30 of the shirts and that might catch on and it might be like a really slow burn over the next several years. People can still go back and buy it. But I mean, I know for me, for example, I mean, I I love representing bands that I like. So I'm going to actively pursue bands that I like and say, hey, you know, Oh, you don't have any merchandise that's available anywhere. Why don't we do something about that? Because like I just did a shirt for uh, the Freeze and turns out the Freeze don't have anything, you know, like really available at all. And, um, you know, Cliff, Cliff Hanger was saying, yeah, we've always struggled with that. I mean, this would be kind of a, a great thing for us. So, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, I I just reach out because I, I think I'd like to see, and I'd like to wear the shirt. So, you know, if I want a Freeze <laughs> shirt, I can't find one. Oh, great. Here's a designer i did
3: (laughs) hey so getting back to you know you you said you've always naturally been this way you grew up in a military household right yeah and you said you also said you were forced to eat unfrosted cereal i don't know if that's related
4: me too me too yeah yeah no That was by choice, actually. That, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> was those
3: two, those two are paired. Like, so I mean, but it sounded like you were moving around a lot, right? So you yeah. had to, you, you had to have that muscle to make new friends. It sounds yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
4: I mean, you know, for me, it was like I was, I was always the new kid, like every couple of years. So you know, you kind of get used to the idea of being able to approach people and just be easy to talk to, and you got to have your thing. So like, you know, some kids are fast, some kids can sing great, some kids are great at baseball. Some kids can draw well. And when I figured out that I could kind of draw well, that was only because I was moving around and, and kids would look at stuff I did and, you know, go, hey, draw this. And all right, fine. So I'd start drawing stuff for them. And that really became like an icebreaker. So I just continued to use that, like, you know, throughout life, you know, just like, oh, okay, here's somebody I'd like to talk to. Here's some artwork that I did for your band. Want to use
3: it? I have a question here. So why are you not teaching
4: clown college? Oh, yeah. So I guess my <laughs> wife's said that. So what it was is, you know, like in, it probably started about Middle school or like junior high, you know, I was like, "Well, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, art? I can't really do anything with that. At least I didn't think I could." I had grandparents that were living in Florida, and so we went down, and um, you know, they had Ringling Brothers, uh, and actually, a lot of uh, a lot of circuses would winter in Florida, and so you'd Ooh. have these communities that were, you know, circus people, and um, they had—I I don't know if it was in Sarasota Springs, but Ringling Brothers had a clown college, like a legit. Clown college. And we went and you know, I checked it out and everything, and and I was really very seriously. I mean, because I was always I was always climbing up trees and you know, kind of acrobatic without you know taking any gymnastics classes. I just thought, okay, you know, I I don't mind making a fool of myself. I I suppose being a clown would probably be something up my alley. And um, so I really seriously considered that. And right before I graduated, I I I realized I wanted to go into teaching. But that was a strong contender because I was like, you know, it's a great job. You don't, you, I mean, you don't have to, you know, be serious all the time. And, you know, you travel a lot and you're around really interesting people. So yeah, I definitely was seriously considering it. So when that, all the backlash within the past, like, oh, I don't know, 20 years when all these kids are pretending that they're afraid of clowns, it's like, it's so irritating to me because it's like, no, you're not afraid of clowns. Like you've been conditioned to think that they're scary. <laughs> like come on i i was only scared we
1: had a guest on here who said they his family ran like a hippie clown college oh, so, okay. so that
4: kind of that kind
1: of, that kind of scared me
4: <laughs> and that's scary Hi- hippies are scary like there's no getting around yes yes, yes oh
3: my god so so maybe the hippies ruin clowning for everybody and that's why the circus yeah. no longer runs
4: They've ruined so many things for so many people. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about how hippies ruin everything. They do. Oh, my God. You know, and it's great. Okay, great. So you've got these good ideas. Because, like, so many of us in the punk world, like, kind of, like, a lot of what we're doing also aligns with kind of, like, more hippie-type things. But just being... Not me. (laughs) But being being so ineffective with it and just being, like, so aesthetically stupid-looking is just, like... (laughs) Ha
2: Ha <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's like a, that's like a, the whole QAnon thing. I was having a conversation with my sister where I was like, you know, it's now you can't say you don't like the government because everyone just assumes that, you know, or you think the government lies to us because everyone's just going to assume you're wearing a tinfoil yeah. hat and you're crazy. And it's like yep. the whole punk rock thing. Like if you look at QAnon, there's not that much of a difference between Dead Kennedy's lyrics and QAnon, but we just know the line of demarcation there where right. we're like, no, we're not those people. But at the same time, I think we do. <laughs> Jello. I mean, Jello might be. I, who knows? I mean, who knows where he is these days. But I mean, but well, maybe uh, you could always
3: fall back on rodeo clowning.
4: Yeah. Uh, oh, right? well, and, and that kind of sound appealing too. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't Did think there have that was somebody the right on here way. that was a rodeo
1: clown. Do we have somebody on here that was a rodeo? No, clown? I'm sure we could find one though. Now, that might have been a bad movie I watched. <laughs> I Punk rock so rodeo my band? mistake.
2: So, so Chris, how did you um, how did you transition from teaching art because you taught art originally, right? Uh, how did you transition from from that to becoming the drama teacher?
4: Abruptly, I don't I don't know if my wife had told you, but um, we had moved out to Northern California from Colorado, and when we got out here, my wife was doing really well with her job, and you know, I didn't really worry too much about moving and then like getting a new job, so like I did not have any Anything set up when we got to Northern California. So I just showed up and just went, oh, it's the summer. Like I can get a job because like teachers aren't teaching during the summer. But I didn't realize that. All the hiring and stuff happens during the spring and you kind of have to get that lined up. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll just find something, I bet. And I I didn't find anything. That, I mean, there were no art jobs that were listed. You know, I had put out my my application in everywhere around us. And I interviewed at one place and I knew that they had already hired somebody and um, they were just kind of going through the motions of interviewing a few other people. And so I was getting to the point where I was just going, okay, well, maybe I'm just going to be an artist, you know, for a while and not teach. And a week before school started. So it was like in, that's always the way it was. Yeah. It was like late <laughs> August. I get a phone call and, um, you know, essentially I'm interviewed like on, on the phone call, just seeing if I was still available, you know, to teach. And I said, yeah, I am. And, um, okay, well, you know, we have this need for you or whatever. You know, I got hired a couple days later and they said, well, we're starting training and you, you'll you start like next week. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I go on in only to find that they couldn't find a Spanish Teacher to teach the all these Spanish one classes, so they just said, "Well, we're going to go ahead and change all those kids to have art one, and you're going to teach them." And I said, "That's
1: not what they do in New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they 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 would have had you just teach the Spanish class." <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well,
4: that's and what then, I thought you were going to say. No, then I then I get there and I and I said, "Okay, well, um well, well, where am I going to teach?" And you know, they straight up just said, "Well, we don't know. We don't have a room for you yet. So, we'll see what's available." Okay. So, they um they looked around and the only class that was, that was empty was um, a kitchen and it was the old home ec class. And they said, well, they got sinks in there. That's good for like cleaning up your brushes, right? And I said, yeah, it's probably fine. They said, okay, okay, okay. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to be teaching kids that signed up for Spanish 1 art in a kitchen, so you will be fine. So I got started, and it, I mean it was rough. And and so within that first year, um, the drama teacher who was there at the school had another drama teacher, and the two of them worked together. And she was she was just pregnant and was going to be taking a year off for maternity leave. And they said, "Would you be interested? the principal's? Yeah, oh that. yeah. <laughs> and they said, Would you be interested in picking up you know some drama classes?" And I, I went, "Not really." And you know, my wife kind of talked me <laughs> into it, and um, so I just. I kind of just did and before I knew it like there there wound up being more and more kids that got interested in in the drama classes and started signing up and pretty soon I was having fewer and fewer art classes and more drama classes and the next thing you know I'm I'm the head of the department now. So it was a really abrupt strange thing. I never never in a million years asked for it. It just happened.
1: But did you ever did you ever have to teach any other class like did they make you teach like physics or something like that? Yeah, that's a good question.
4: No, although they had they had kind of like, um, you know, said, look, it, you you might have to be picking up some other things because we we might be losing some of the classes. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want that to happen. So I, I talked to all of my drama classes and I said, all right, so I need you guys to help me recruit. And I was like, <laughs> we need to get more kids taking the drama classes and signing up for it. So, you know, after going through and doing that, they said, okay, you need to get 24 more kids to have a small class. And I think I wound up with like a hundred and some odd, like more kids. <laughs> <laughs> nice, fine. Let me keep going. That
3: that that sounds very punk rock to me. I feel like any yeah. other teacher would oh, yeah. be like, Oh Bill, I bet better, I better bone up on the math curriculum no! or something. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: We had to get like a bunch of people together and sign a freaking petition so we can get an antenna theory class. Wow.
4: There you go. Yeah, I
0: mean but if you have to do it, you just do it. That's right. I'm gonna stop the conversation for one second and tell you you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help out with some gas money to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. Now let's get back to the show.
3: So wait, run us through the curriculum because we, we asked Lori and, and it sounded pretty intense. Uh, as far I'm as what, 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 what all, the, all the things that you do during a school year in a normal school year.
4: Oh yeah. During a normal school year, I'm, I'm super busy. Like we get started and you know, all of my classes just do introductory sort of things. Um, but then we gear up for, um, our first play. And a lot of times I'll do it like right when school starts. So, I mean, I may have auditions for the play the first week of school. So like I'm, I'm hitting the ground running. And then when that's finished, we then go into a haunted house that we do. And so we've got, we've taken over this big space in, in an, art building where you know we have this walkthrough haunted house, kids direct and and create, there's eight different rooms and they get all these different actors and you know they have to build the rooms and do the lighting and the makeup and the sound and you know whatever effects they're doing. Um and so we do that and you know it's it's difficult to get a uh, an idea about this, but we run it for three nights and usually we have around a thousand people that go through. So it's I mean it's a really it's a big, big endeavor. And then when we're finished with that, um, we typically are getting ready for doing some student-directed plays, and my advanced classes uh, actually have got a lot of uh, experience where they actually pick out a play that they want to direct. I usually have two students that do it, and um, that's a class project. And then in another class, I have them doing one-act plays. And then in another class, they're doing like some really, really small versions of, of all that stuff. And then we typically have a musical that we're working on. And you know, then there's just nights of improv and, and performances that are going on so I mean it's it's a very busy busy thing because I I'll be at school I'll come home for usually about an hour and a half and then I go back out again for about another three hours and then I get home and basically go to sleep and, and just get up and do the same thing again did you ever throw anybody out of your improv
1: class that went on to be a famous comedian
4: <laughs> no oh no you know it, I I <clears throat> I, not, not at all. Um, you know I, I I very rarely have had kids that really don't want to do anything. you know, and usually if if they're trying, you figure out a way to make whatever they're doing work. And typically they do.
3: charlie does 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 Brooklyn Tech have a haunted house?
4: No way, hold on. <laughs> Man, some type of a
1: haunted house? No haunted house, <laughs> just a real house.
2: Just a real <laughs> house. They don't they don't make it scary for 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 uh, Halloween.
1: According to the kids in the architecture major, it's very scary as it is. <laughs> <laughs> that night. they have to do projects all night every night. So,
3: how do you grade drama? How does how does that work? Is it, is, does it work like phys ed or is it more? intense on in that.
4: So a normal year what I would do is there's participation points that you get cuz you you get there, you show up and you know the assumption is that you're working on what you need to. If you're not, you know, you can lose points. So if we're doing like improv one day, you know, if there's anything that's a problem, somebody might lose points for that day, but otherwise I just say you're getting points, you're showing up, you're here. I'm assuming you're you're an active participant. Then we always do um scenes and monologues that are like Bigger pieces, so they're they're working on memorizing things and getting you know pieces together that they then perform in front of the class. So everybody in the class has done that, and for that I have a, a really clear rubric that um, you know explains what is the criteria I'm looking for, and on a scale of one through five, how well did you satisfy that? Five would be you know like exceptional. Four is above average. Three is average. Two is below average. One is like non-existent. So um, and I go over that stuff with them right from the start so they know what the expectations are for anything so it's looking at your volume your articulation your character your um, movement your memorization all that stuff i factor in and they can and i can show it to them afterwards and go okay you lost points here because you got a little quiet it was difficult to understand what you were saying here your intentions didn't seem very clear you should have been really irritated you seemed mildly perturbed you know and i can really clearly go through it with them and on top of that every quarter so you 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 know, we have the four quarters. Every quarter they would typically go and see a play and then write a review of that play. So those are kind of like the big grades that they would get for any typical quarter if we were back in person.
3: Does does the administration have rubrics as good to, to measure you? And your teaching?
4: Yeah, they've got they've got just like standardized ones that they use for you know, like everyone. So all teachers, you know, have a certain, you know, rubric standard that they go over. And there's an evaluation process that takes place like every two years or so. So all the teachers that are involved are are getting evaluated on how effective are they doing their job? And you know, are they communicating well with parents? Are they making good use of technology? Do they have good classroom management and all that stuff? So yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm constantly, you know, having that happened, you know, every couple of years too. You know, you know, you know I'm big into grade fraud.
3: but <laughs> you big into I, it? For it or against it, Charlie?
1: <laughs> no, I've been expo- I've been exposing it. I've been leading the fight against grade fraud.
3: Awesome. Are you? Are you? Do you have anything to fear from Charlie, Chris? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, so wait, it's so it, at your in your school system <laughs> is there kind of. Uh, any kind of automatic, got to go to summer school? Like, if you fail drama and wanted a class, do you, are you forced to go to summer school? How does that work?
4: Well, there's not like a, a, a thing for for drama for summer school. I mean, you know, bottom line, if you fail a class, you fail a class. You might be credit deficient to graduate. So it doesn't matter what class it is. The, the um like, core classes, like, you know, an English class or whatever, if you don't get that credit, you still need to make that up. In an elective, if you failed a class, you failed it, you didn't get credit. So essentially you wasted a semester or a year. And that just becomes a deficiency that you have to make up somehow. Like the last thing that I want to do is have somebody who's failed a drama class go, hey, let's have them take it again. Because to me, that just seems like it's just, it's torture. Like, why would you do that? Um, So no, they wouldn't have to, you know, like automatically do like a summer school or anything like that. But it would mean that they could become credit deficient. And then by the time they're a senior, maybe they're having to pick up some other, electives to, to satisfy those elective you know, criteria that they missed out on.
1: What if somebody What if somebody failed the class, but then, like, they got a 99 on the drama regents? <laughs> drama
4: regents. <laughs> don't drama we regents. don't have that, so... No
1: drama regents? <laughs> no. Yeah. We got regents here in New oh, York. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah. One of my friends in high school, I went to Catholic high school, but we had a rule. If you failed two classes, you just got kicked out of school. Right. And he failed typing and
1: gym. Oh, wow. And he threw and him out they for that? He threw out,
3: yeah. He also, he also smoked Bench, Benson and Hedges cigarettes. <laughs> they
1: threw him out for I don't know if that was acting. related. Listen to this. Sandra and Nelson failed gym and they had to go to night school for gym. Wow.
2: Jesus.
1: So I was, like, I was like, you guys are like going to a health club or something at night. You go to the gym like all the yuppies.
2: Bill, I feel like your friend that smoked Benson and & Hedges and failed typing in gym was probably like some weird George Burns like body switch movie. Like,
1: it's Listen, like an had, 80-year-old I had, man. I had this guy in high school and he used to smoke these freaking colored cigarettes. They had like, they were like aqua or something. And then we're outside of the Petman Lounge and he walks up holding his cigarette like in this weirdest pose. And he walks up and says, I'm on the guest list.
2: They're called Nat, (laughs) they're called Nat Sherman Fantasias. I actually know that because I used to, (laughs) they were a client of mine. It was the-
1: Did you you ever go to Pep Lounge and say like, I'm on the guest list? No, but we used to sell them to Lady
2: Gaga all the time. Uh. Did did you get in? (laughs) But anyway.
1: We we got in with that move, believe it or not.
2: (laughs) So, so Chris, talking, I want to transition and talk a little bit about, about your art. Like how do you, first off, how do you balance that with all the work that you're doing as a teacher? I mean, do you go home from a day of school and then just start working on, on whatever's on your plate from an art perspective?
4: Yeah, usually, or, um, I'm, I might be working on it, you know, during my, my planning period or during lunch, or, you know, if I get to school a little bit early, I sometimes do that. I also get up really early. So like, for example, this morning, I think I was up at four 55. You know, and I had like an hour, about an hour and a half that I spent working on on art stuff in the morning before I even got started with school. So I, I kind of cram it in, you know, wherever I can. And you know, when I'm doing, you know, when I'm directing plays, that's the that's like the most brutal time because it's it's such a time crunch. I, you know, I I and I never miss deadlines. I like, I mean, that's one thing I always, always, always manage. Because the way I look at it is like, I mean, I can sacrifice sleep. You know, I can <laughs> I can figure out a way. So so you know, usually what it is is I'll, I'll get home, I'll work for a couple of hours, and then if if it's a regular you know school year and I have to go back out, I'll go back out, and then I come home. I usually don't work in the evening, but I try and work as much as I can, like in the morning during my lunch periods, and then in those couple hours that I have in between. But I've gotten kind of good at working quickly on stuff. So and the other thing is is that I I constantly am, am putting out feelers for like hey I've got tons of different bands that I'm contacting. So you know it it allows me me to continuously be busy, but, you know, I, I can also strobe things out. So I might have something that I is due in a couple months. And then I'm on a weekend, maybe I can bang it out and, you know, bang out like three other designs that weekend. So it is, it's a difficult balancing act sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I don't have things fall through the cracks, which is really nice.
2: I love the idea that some kid could forget his jacket and come in and you're just like furiously sketching different Milo heads.
4: Oh yeah. <laughs> or, or, or like skulls or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like when Reed Mullen passed away, I guess it was last year, um, you know, I drew this giant, you know, COC skull on on my board and I had kids coming in going, what is that? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. You see, there's this band from Raleigh, North Carolina called Corrosion <laughs> of Deformity. And they're going, what the hell? Why are you telling me that? But, you know, I do, I, there's, there's artwork of mine, you know, like around and, you know, I do, I draw, I used to draw on kids like late passes. So they'd come in with a late pass. I'd draw a something and give it to them. So I, you know, my my drawing is very much taking place during school too. And if there are times where kids are working more independently, you know, I can be sketching stuff while, you know, keeping an eye on them simultaneously. And that seems to work pretty good
2: has any any uh, high school band come up to you and been like I heard you do logos Not
4: really <laughs> you no know, there there have been high school bands that you know um, I've gone and seen you know that have played around because I mean Stockton doesn't really have like you know much of a musical scene at all but um, there was a time where there were a few bands that you know were students of mine so you know I'd go and see them or whatever um, but they never asked because they usually were kids from an art class and they already knew how to do stuff so mm-hmm. um, that that just made it easy If it was somebody you know that I wanted to, i mean i would probably just do something just give it to him you know because um and because it's not my main job i can still afford to do stuff like that and you know not you know i'm not losing anything
3: that's what h.r giger did with the uh, celtic frost they like knocked on his door and they're like hey can we use your painting really <laughs> he's like sure yeah and then uh tom warrior ended up being his assistant years later
4: Really? I, I did not know that. That makes a lot of sense. If you watch
3: the, docu- the last documentary, I was watching it, and in the middle, they're like, and this is, you know, they're, and I see this guy, and I'm like, does everyone in Switzerland look like Tom Warrior? It's like, what's up with these people? And now, it is him.
4: it Tom Warrior or Tom G. Warrior? Tom I always G. Been the Warrior. I don't know for, what the okay. G stands for tom g warrior that's what it stands for it's like it's like Ingwe j malmsteen you got to have the j in there because like oh you meant that Ingwe malmsteen oh okay well you know you know i'm more familiar i just uh, call uh, him tommy yeah there you go at Ingwe
2: i was big mosh <laughs> Chris would you would you turn down Ingve Malmsteen if he wanted you to do some art for him?
4: You know, no, I I'd, I'd be stoked on it. I mean, in high school I would have been like, no, go away. But now I I mean, I've worked with all kinds of different people and you know, honestly, if they're if they're excited about having me work for them, I I'll give it like some serious consideration. You know, and there've been there've been people that I've turned down cuz like flat out it's been it hasn't been a good working environment, you know, trying to get something done. And that's kind of fun is when you like you do start working on something and you go, "Nah, I don't think I want to do this anymore." Now,
2: do you know when you're when you're kind of scheduling out all the stuff that you have on your plate? Do you know like if the descendants are going on tour? All are going on tour. Do you know that that's just going to be a lot more work? Like, do you have to budget that out and be like, all right, if I or and do they tell you in advance? So, like, do you know if like they're going to be on tour for spring that you're going to have like a really yeah. tough late winter? Yeah, discussion? usually.
4: Yeah, usually what we do is like um Bill Stevenson and I. will like you know, usually at the start of the new year, we'll go and go. Okay, well, what's the year look like? And okay, well, we're planning on you know doing like this you know summer tour in Europe, and then we've got all these festival shows in the fall, and then you know we're gonna to like, you know, round things off in Southern California. So I then get a pretty good idea that, okay, that's like my number one priority. And they are, I mean, you know, if, if descendants need something, I, I always, you know, make that a priority. And fortunately with the Milo type drawings, I mean, they're so, they're so fast. It's, it's a lot of times it's the, it's just getting the idea. And once the idea is there, the actual drawing drawing is, doesn't take all that long. So, um, you know, I can, I, and I have, I like, I mean, Bill has has gotten a hold of me during school. I'll never forget this, it was like my fourth period and he said, we're gonna be playing Mexico like a couple of weeks, we need a drawing like today. I said, okay, no problem. Literally five minutes later, I sent him something and he was like, it's perfect. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so I, I I had it done, you know, within like five minutes. And then, you know, like a couple, couple days later, he goes, yeah, I don't know what happened, but the the tour of Mexico uh, fell through. So we're not doing it, but we're putting the shirts out anyway, just not with any specific dates on them. So I get that too. I mean, like I'll have Bill sometimes say, we just picked up these, these other shows or we're doing this another like real small leg of tours so we need something for that and you know usually my turnaround time can be really fast but I usually will have especially with Descendants like if they're doing a lot of shows we've been doing shirts for virtually every one of them and um, you know my lead time is at you know I have to have it in two weeks before whatever so you know if they were playing on um, Valentine's Day I would have needed to have done it last week you know and as long as I got a weekend I can get stuff done that's a pretty quick turnaround let me tie
1: tie this to that rubric thing like when my daughter started uh, kindergarten they told her no stick figures when you draw <laughs> really stick <laughs> yeah. figures
3: aren't allowed so
1: what, no. what was the reason what do they draw
3: then yeah
1: they can't draw just stick figures they got to draw more details. so, so you, you get like a one instead map, of a five that number that'd be the one on the rubric if you draw like a stick figure man that's oh, weird I think about and that chris
4: <laughs> it depends i mean you know it's it's difficult to get really an idea about like what anybody is doing without a sense of like, what is your syllabus? What is your plan? Like, what have you gone over? What have you, you know, been discussing in a classroom? It's really difficult to hear something like that and know really how to respond to that because I don't, I don't know what their room's like normally.
1: Well, well do you think that you would fail kindergarten?
4: <laughs> it only does a lot like, more I mean, than stick figures. Somebody might. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hold on. So Bill Stevenson, right? Uh, I have this theory that him and John Taffer from Bar Rescue are the same person. Have you ever seen them in the same place at the same time? I don't know what that is, so I'm not even sure.
2: <laughs> so you so cannot maybe, confirm nor I deny.
4: Know. I cannot. I'm not qualified to have an opinion. <laughs>
2: So looking at, looking at something like in ways of working with, with the band, I mean, looking at like the suffrage single that just came out, like, do they come with you, come to you and say, you know, like, this is the theme, this is the title, this is, you know, or, or do they give you more detail? Like we want a ballot box. That's Milo that like, you know, did you come up with that yourself or was that something that they kind of spun it to you?
4: That one was like, okay, so we're going to be doing this single. Here's what it is. What do you got? And so I I typically will start with getting some sketches together and set them to ordinarily i'll send things to bill and to milo and um so like the three of us will will discuss it and then they'll take it to stefan and carl and you know normally it it flies by those guys so in doing that You know, a lot of times there can be dozens and dozens of sketches. And, you know, sometimes it's, okay, that's perfect. Let's just develop that. Or sometimes it's, no, none of these are working. What if we tried? So, with that one, I think Milo, after, you know, having looked at a bunch of sketches that had come in, he said, well, could we do something with a ballot box? And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I could, I can make, you know, Milo had a ballot box. And so I played around with a bunch of different versions of that. Cause, like, what does that look like? It could look like a lot of different things. So I did that. And then, you know, there's initially this big batch of sketches then it becomes more you know definite because bill might say something i might have a good idea milo might say something and with that one i'm i'm fairly certain milo had said okay can we try the ballot box so then yeah I, you know i whipped that together and you know it wasn't too wasn't too difficult or anything
2: is it and is it a grass is greener kind of thing like like are you ever like i'm sick of drawing milo can can all tour so i can draw all right <laughs> no
4: i mean <laughs> It, it would be great if it were that easy. But, you know, we've done, <laughs> it, we, we did things in the past where, you know, Bill was, I, I guess there was a, a point with, with all where Bill was, was really kind of like weary of just using, you know, like All Roy or Milo characters or whatever. And he wanted to really like expand and try some other things. And so we did that and it didn't go all that well. And like, I think by the time, you know, everything sucks came around, you know, he realized, okay, having like a character that that people can relate to and like immediately see and identify with is very powerful. And that really, you know, helps create interest in a band and, and make them easy, easy to identify. And so, you know, we well,
1: just- it's a brand, isn't it? Is it a brand?
4: Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, and you know, and I approach it like that. I mean, I approach it like, okay, well, the Milo head, like, if you look at it, you know, it, it's kind of a stupid looking thing. Um, but it it it's so like burned into most everybody's brain. It, so, how do you make that interesting or different, or or you know, have people look at it in a different way? And that's kind of been my my challenge. Is like, that's what it is. So, you know, it's um, it it's, it's really kind of fun having like the limitations of that. But then, okay. Well, well, what are we going to do with it? And, um, you know, there's been hundreds and hundreds of designs that we've done. And um, it's, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's challenging. So rather than just saying, okay, well, let's try something completely different, work with the confines that you've got and see what you can make interesting from that. And I think that's, that's been really satisfying.
2: So it's like writing a sonnet, like, you know, that that's going to be what the parameters are that you have to work within. And that's the challenge is to do something new and, and people are going to take notice of.
4: Yeah, same thing. H-
3: have you ever had talks about doing like an Iron Maiden, like moving character on stage of you the know- Milo? <laughs> kind of
4: kind of i mean actually um so descendants and all's former roadie, bugface um, had always said okay i really want to get like you know like some movable like base master general type thing that we could do something with and like he was he was talking about like us building something then we thought no but you can't do that because like no effects have already like completely like won the game with that by having like a really, really small banner that they duct tape up. That's like maybe two by one foot that just says no effects. And like, (laughs) that's, you know, the the total opposite end. And I'm like, we can't do anything because like there is, you know, Eddie and you've got the the whole Iron Maiden shtick. And then the opposite end of that is no effects have kind of already like, (laughs) they've ruled with that so ah, what's the point both of them yeah
3: (laughs) are there any other kind of like punk rock artists do albums and shirts that you like
4: either up and coming or you know our age? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, well, a guy that's, you know, my age, too, is um, Brian Walsby, who's been doing stuff for, since forever, too. Um, Brian and I are, are really good friends. And, you know, we actually do similar sort of stuff, you know, like, we both got started doing more caricatures of type bands and, you know, like live drawings and that sort of thing. And Brian's really, like, within the past few years, has just fully taken off again from what he would was doing before. And he's incredible, you know, and he's kind of like one of the constant people that that like he and I are feeding off of each other. I I just love his work. Um, another friend of mine who's who's um in animation, Corey Toomey, hasn't done an awful lot of um, you know, artwork that's been used for band stuff, but he's he's so good. I think he just recently did something that the Aquabats are gonna be using. And um, it's I mean, it's incredible. But you know, I, I like stuff that that's kind of similar to what I do in the first place. I just, you know, I'm just kind of naturally interested in that. You know, and the funny thing is, is I've I've seen so many kind of people kind of come and go go you know like they'll they'll kind of come on up and you know like 3 or 4 years they're doing stuff and then whoop, they're gone completely it's like i'm kind of in this for the long haul so <laughs> you, know, you know i've been i've been doing you know like stuff actively since 88 so I mean, I'm not going anywhere.
2: Are you gonna have your serious art moment too? I mean, I feel like I, you know, there's a lot of of talk out there, and when people talk about punk, you know, quote unquote punk rock artists, you're always mentioned. It's always Pettybone and you, and like I feel like he always had such a negative reaction to being like the black flag guy. And you know, do you do you ever have moments of that where you're like, I wish I could do more serious stuff, or are you totally satisfied and happy with with the role that you're playing now with your art?
4: Uh, well, that's the thing is, I mean, I do whatever I really want to do. Granted, I, I am really well known for doing stuff with Descendants, and I'm so happy and, and feel very fortunate about that. But really what I like doing the most is t-shirt art. You know, my wife is is a professional artist and she does a lot of stuff for galleries and shows and stuff like that. And she I mean and she has to because what she does, it's it's a one of a kind piece and you have to see it in person. And for me, I don't really care about stuff like that very much. You know, like personally for my artwork, I'm really happy to do something that, you know, somebody's gonna print a t shirt of. And, you know, maybe they're only gonna make, you know, like a few dozen of them and that's it. But I like that. I mean, I like the 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 t shirt sort of stuff. And if there's things that I Want to do that are different. I still have time to do that, you know, independently. And you know, I I don't I don't have any pretense about oh I have this gift that's going to something else, and I need to be more serious. <laughs> like, that's- that's ridiculous. It's like, you are what you are. I'm a t-shirt artist and that's what I want to be. So I'm never going, boy, I'm really waiting for that big break at getting a gallery show. Like I, I don't really have very much interest in that. And I don't really have, I have zero interest in like the idea of like doing like a coffee table book or something like, I just think, you know, stuff like that is like, it's, it has no interest to me whatsoever. You know, so I, no, I don't think that I'm ever going to have that moment where I go, damn it, I really wasted my talent just doing these crappy T-shirts, you know? I, I'm gonna just look back and go, damn it, I did some great crappy T-shirts.
2: <laughs> and I'm sure there's people that collect them too. I mean, it seems like it's it's almost, it's your version of like a, a seven inch, you know, a limited edition seven inch where you're like, do you have people that are fans of you that collect them? And they're like, I've never heard this band before, but maybe I'll check them out now that I bought the T-shirt.
4: Yeah, and you know, that's the really weird thing is like now I've I've realized that, you know, if, if there are people like that, And there are some that will, you know, pick something up just based on the fact that I did it. And if I'm doing it, you know, maybe that has some clout to it. Um, You know, I'm, I'm very aware of, you know, some bands that are like, hey, maybe we could get in on some of that action. So I have had, you know, bands that have contacted me.
3: I'm not a big record collector, but has there ever been a Descendants bootleg where someone like forged original art that you supposedly did?
4: You know, no, I mean, there's there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of problems with, you know, just bootleg stuff in general. And um, King's Road is the the merch company that is um handles all the descendant stuff. And they're they're basically part of Epitaph Records. So um they're constantly having to go after, you know, bootleggers that, that will take like it's the exact same drawing, you know, that I used for something that we don't make anymore. And, you know, they're just printing up, you know, like however many they want to do and um it's i, I mean it, it's it can be a real problem as far as like bootleg records or stuff not so much but you know more than anything you know like with with especially with descendants bootleg stuff um you know the whole thing with that is they didn't plan on releasing that in the first place i mean that was that was work that was like a sketch of like this is what we're going to maybe be doing and like there was there was never any you know idea that public should hear that i mean that was maybe something that the band was passing around to each other to get, you know, like an idea about, okay, how do we play this song or to, you know, send to a label, you know, so that that's upsetting when something that you were working on is out there. And I can speak, to, you know, very specifically about Descendants because, you know, that's what I know. Um, with other places, I think a lot of times the demos are like, I'm happy if it gets out there because I know, you know, we were pretty happy with it and somebody didn't pick it up and didn't want to put it out. But, you know, I mean, if you think about all the Misfits demos that are out there, oh, yeah. that, you know.
3: Um, yeah, I was just thinking of like, Live concerts, or something. but you know, what? you just jog my memory. I think I have one. I'm going to take a picture of it if I
0: do.
4: <laughs> yeah, you probably do. I mean, I'm pretty exist. sure I have one. They definitely exist, and I, you know, I've I've often wondered about this. There was a drawing that I did, and it's the it's a really really small thing. It was you know, all had put out a live record. It was called Live Plus One, and. The the kind of the hook on it was it, it's a live all record, but there's also a bonus Descendants live thing. And so we did, the cover was exactly the same, except instead of saying all, it said Descendants. And, you know, Milo was replacing Chad on it. And we did... You know, at first we thought, all right, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll make it like almost so it's like a, a double cover. So you could flip it either way. And then we were like, nah, because then it's going to get, you know, like too much attention for being a descendants thing and all's going to be in the background. So we specifically printed, you know, like the descendants part really super tiny. And at some point, getting back to like, you know, passing around work, I had a black and white drawing of that that was sent to somebody. It was a label or something. I don't know where it was, but it was something that I specifically had sent to somebody. Someone And it's been, it's wound up being used for bootlegs, all kinds of stuff. And I'm going, who got that? You know, I, I made a copy to send to somebody for work and that drawing wound up being used for all kinds of different stuff. So it's very possible that there's a demo or there's a, there's a bootleg album. I think I I have it. I think I
3: might have it, Chris.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I've seen, and I've seen tons of shirts of it and it's like, okay, that's my work that we never intended that to be used for anything like that.
3: Yeah. It's like, uh, was it um, exploited? Stole pusshead's skull, right? Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Because that, well, that was that was just a flyer, you know. And yeah. um, and I I don't think he's ever been you know like really compensated on that. So no. I, it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. And
3: strange. the
4: funny thing about that was that was a show that was canceled. They didn't even play that show. <laughs> <laughs> it was set up. I think the Stern brothers had set it up and it was at Godzilla's in Southern California. And um the exploited canceled the tour for some reason, or they canceled that show. And so the flyer did Yeah, the Flyer was out there, and then they just went, Great, well, we're gonna use it for a record cover. Never asked about that, <laughs> Took his name off of it. And so <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. seen it a million times. And you know, there you go.
2: Are there any bands that you um, have just had ideas for that you just like are on your dream list of like the ones that you just wish if you had a moment to talk to them you'd be like I'm gonna convince them that they that we need to work. Oh together. yeah,
4: oh yeah. But you know, like my my dream list is bizarre because I've 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 worked with most of the bands that I really wanted to. I mean, like high on my list was was always the Damned, and I've worked for the Damned for a few things. So that was like okay, well you don't get a whole lot better in my mind than that. So my other like dream listers are kind of more weird. So it's like the Go-Go's, they might be giants, Madness, the specials. These are some of the, the ones that are all, like on my dream list. It's not a very big list, but that's kind of, that's kind of it.
2: Now, as far as, as bands, like, you know, when you're doing the t-shirts, like how do you, does, does, you know, especially if they're going through bifocal, like how does that work in terms of like, say, you know, you want to reach out to channel three because you want to do that t-shirt. Right. How do you even know who to talk to? Well,
4: you know, like I said, I'm kind of in this for the long haul. So, I mean, I, I've just, I'm kind of a a social person. And like, you know, with bands that I like, you know, I I usually get to know them. And, um, you know, you wind up being at festivals and stuff like that together. And, you know, there's just like a camaraderie that that exists. And, and, you know, like a lot of times the the bands will, you know, introduce themselves to me or I'll talk to them after a show or whatever. So I've just kind of like gotten to know a lot of people through the years. And in doing that, a lot of times it's just like, oh, well, you know, I know Kim from Channel 3. I know Mike. I can, you know, just call them up. Or if I don't, you know, I'll just look and see, all right, where are they active? Are they doing things on Instagram? Is it actually one of the band members that's doing that? Or is it someone else? Um, I'm, do they do things on Facebook? Are they, are they really communicative with, you know, people? How about just the individual members from the band? Maybe they don't. Cause like I did something recently for DRI and I don't know those guys. Um, you know, I, I love that early stuff a lot. And, um, I was like, I don't know them. I don't know if, you know, who do I talk to? Do I talk to Felix? Do I talk to Kurt? I mean, who do I, who do I reach out to? So I just sent things to everybody who was in the band and said, Hey, I got an idea. And I didn't even like, you know, dick around with it. I was just like, here's an idea. It's done. It's ready to go. If you're interested. <laughs> and I Pick figured, up your dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Like they could just say, no, we don't want to use it. All right. Well then I'll just put it to the side. You know, like, so like on my, on my desktop, right now. I was just looking at it. I have a Voivod design that I was like, oh man, totally want to have Voivod use this. <laughs> and that would just be a case of, all right, we'll." Maybe I just reach out to somebody. Okay, Bifocal's actually worked with Voivod. so you know maybe we can just go ahead and you know have Charles, the guy who runs Bifocal, just reach out and send him a message because he already works with them. Um, so a lot of times, you know, it's just it's is there already a working relationship? And if there's not, you know, I'll just reach out. We'll give I'll give you an example. So um, the Svetlana's Russian band, the Svetlana's, had had played at Punk Rock Bowling a couple of years back, and you know people were like, oh, you got to see these guys. They're they're just incredible okay, fine. So I, I went and I saw them and they were, they were just incredible. And immediately afterwards, I was like, okay, I introduced myself and and I said, hey, look, I would love to do something for you guys. And they said, well, we can't afford to have you do anything. And I said, no, 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 no. I want to do something for you. And I said, I don't I don't want to get paid for it. I will do something. I will give it to you because I really like you guys. So they were like, um, okay. So a lot of times it'll be, you know, I, in the moment, like I've, I've seen the band and I go, oh, I didn't realize how much I I really, you know, like these guys. So cool. Let me just talk to somebody. And, and a lot of times, you know, since I've been doing this for a while, people, you know, tend to, you know, kind of know who I am. And, um, That's been nice because then I don't have to like, you know, have this big long introduction. I can just say, Hey, I've done stuff. You know, usually descendants is my calling card. I can say, I do all the artwork for descendants. Oh wow. Oh yeah, we want to have you do something. And so it's it's usually pretty easy. But I I have no problem reaching out to anybody and, you know, just trying. You know, maybe they'll like it and and maybe I have a really good idea and I'll just pitch it to them and say, Hey, look, I already did this. This is this would be the deal. So I I just try.
2: Now Going back to the to the school question, I mean, do do your students care at all? Do you ever run into a kid wearing wearing a shirt that you designed, or like you know, do you? And if you do have that that stray punk kid come into your classes, do you talk to them about music, or do you keep those things very separate?
4: Rarely. Normally, the kids who are interested in drama aren't really interested in punk rock stuff. They they <laughs> just aren't. And um, you know, Stockton doesn't have like a really high percentage of kids that are super into that in the first place. They they just aren't. And um, the last thing that I'd ever want to do is, is try and make a high school student think that I was anybody they wanted to talk to. You know, like, <laughs> I just, I think any adult that's trying to get approval from a, a teenager is a potential pedophile. I mean, that's like, <laughs> it's creepy. Like what the hell's wrong with you? Just, you know, whatever. So, and but I'll talk to kids about it. I mean, if they figure out who I am and they're like, wait a minute, you're this guy. Uh, sure. And I'll talk to you, but I'm also your Teachers, so here's what we need to be doing in class, and you know if they come in during lunch, I'll I'll talk to them about stuff. But I don't have like you know kids that are like, oh hey, aren't you Mr. Sherry they, they don't care, and I I don't really either because I'm I'm not I'm not trying to impress my students. <laughs> I'm really not. What what do you do with your summers off? A lot of artwork. I travel around a lot. I, I go to a lot of a lot of mainly music festivals that are going on because that's that's a lot of times where I get introduced to like people that maybe I'd like to work with, and um you know I. I I do a lot of stuff around the house um we've been going through during the pandemic and have really been you know like redecorating and you know getting a lot of things done to our house so you know and and also just enjoy my time off you know just wake up watch documentaries and you know did, did, did you ever teach summer camp um well i did i did summer uh summer camp before i started teaching um okay. so and that and i really i did that because i wanted to figure out do i want to be around kids you know um so during college college, I had five five years where I was a, a summer camp counselor. You know, and like the idea to get paid to go swimming and roller skating and play kickball, <laughs> like, yeah, sign me up. That sounds perfect. <laughs> So I did that I for, for a while and I loved it, but like, and, and, you know, there were times where, okay, so there was, um, there was a summer theater program that we were working with and it got to a point where we could no longer be associated with the people who were running it. And, um, so we decided, okay, we had enough of that. So we stopped doing it, but it gave a lot of kids things to do during the summer. And so, you know, we thought, all right, well, if we're no longer working with this independent group, could we do it at the school? And, you know, so the school said, Well, you know, we don't really have the funds to do this. And I said, Okay, well, if we can get the funds to do it, would you would you back this? And they said, Yeah. And I said, Okay. So we sold our car and and donated all the money to it and said, oh Look, God. you got the money now, so what's it gonna be? And they were like, I guess you got a summer program. So <laughs> wow. So we did that one year simply to give kids like an option to do something other than this other summer camp that I, I really don't think. So for spite, was it was good. a spite program. It was, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, <laughs> we got it from Jerry Seinfeld, you know. He would have been proud of us. <laughs> Wow, that's
3: pretty freaking punk rock! You sold your car just to screw over these people. Oh yeah, (laughs) no, I mean, I I highly, I highly endorse this. (laughs) Oh,
4: honestly, we were just like, these kids have to have something to do, and I'm not going to sit by and just say we didn't try.
3: So we did something about it. That's awesome. I taught summer camp filmmaking for three summers. I have to say, like, I only had to do it from nine till noon, and I slept the rest of the day every day. So I don't know how you can have this much energy. So I just really, I just want to give you, make sure you understand. I really admire what you do.
4: Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, really
3: hard. It's really hard to keep kids' attention.
4: It can be. And like, I, I gotta be honest, like, you know, doing distance learning stuff, it, I mean, that's that's more true now than it probably ever has been because what I'm seeing is a lot of kids' mental states slowly deteriorating over the, the months and months that things have been dragging on. And um, so I kind of have to act as like a cheerleader for them to get them you know, motivated and interested in anything because a lot of them aren't, you know? And um, it's, it's difficult to have, especially with my, my kids that are in my advanced classes, I may have had them all four years of high school. And to go from like a kid that loves school and is very social, and is is excited about being involved to like they don't have their lights on and they're laying down covered in a blanket every day like that's that's a problem they're depressed and um that's something that i'm really having to deal with a lot now so you know it's it's been really exhausting for me because i have to kind of like be extra on to get them at all enthusiastic about doing anything well to that point
2: uh laurie had mentioned that you did a, a video series that was the, you know like the 2020 was the year that i finally learned and things like that. Is that how you, is that how you've kept them more engaged Is kind of just drawing from real life experiences, even if they're, they're, dealing with being shut in?
4: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast a little while ago, not, not to, you know, like say, Hey, listen to something else, but I was listening to a podcast with Ian Mackay, and Ian was talking about, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we can't control what we're, we're currently dealing with, but we can control like how we, we process that information. So great. You can be mad at the government and say, you know, screw you. You're making me do this. You're making me do that. That's fine but then ultimately they're winning because now you're beaten down so i refuse to be beaten down and and you know feel like okay well this is all happening to me it's not It's happening around me, it's happening with me, but how do I need to interpret that? And like, I still have a spirit and I still have a soul, so I'm gonna do the best that I can to look at the things that perhaps are are bright spots in my day and accentuate some of those things. And not be like unrealistic and bury myself, my head in the sand, but to try and like go, all right, even though this is challenging, what are some of the things that I can be doing now that I couldn't do before that could be beneficial to me? And so I'm trying the best that I can to have have my students look for those things and kind of, you know, revel in the fact that, you know, simple things. I can use my own toilet. I don't have to use those (laughs) crappy ones at school. I mean, it's it's little, (laughs) but... You know, I, I have been able to, you know, get out every morning and walk my dog for a half an hour. I couldn't do that before. So there are things now that I'm given the opportunity to, to do that I'm I'm loving. And I'm trying the best that I can to get kids to see that there could be some really interesting developments that happen. And like, you know, one of the things that I think is great is like appearance doesn't matter anymore. And like in, in high school, like so much of like, you know, anxiety and and judgment comes from your appearance. When well, you take that away and that's not really an issue anymore, suddenly you start going, oh, people don't pick on me. This is kind of nice. You know, you can actually develop into the sort of person that maybe, you know, you could have been if you didn't have to deal with people, you know, treating you poorly.
2: That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that, that that, you know, there's a lot of kids that are not having those awkward moments of being bullied in the hallways because there's no hallways.
3: Right. Yeah, I, re- I really had a lot of bathroom problems in school. So I can relate to that too.
2: Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's terrible.
3: Yeah. So I, I, my sister's a teacher and we have this experience where we're at some sort of public event and a celebrity sighting happens I hear whispering behind me and it's yeah. they're talking about my sister. Does that happen to yeah. you a lot?
4: Yeah, not really all that often. I mean, typically, well, you know, what does happen is like, you know, we'll go, this is so weird. Like a couple of days ago, we went into San Francisco and on our drive, we stopped off to get coffee and it's, you know, a drive-through thing and all that's visible are my eyes. And like <laughs> the, the kid that's working there, like looks at me and notices that I've got a sticker on the car that, you know, says Lincoln high school. And she goes, are you the drama teacher? And I say, yeah. <laughs> And she goes, oh, that's so cool. You know, my friend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, right on. Uh, thanks. You know, so I think, well, and I, I mean, I stand out in a crowd. There's, there's no getting around it. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of people that look like I do. Um, You know, even in a punk rock show, you know, you can just kind of go, yeah, the guy in the orange shirt, that's him. So I I stand out fairly well. And so I think a lot of students know who I am, even if I don't, and I've never met them. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are aware of who I am, but not really like anybody that would would be excited about it. It's more like, and I've definitely done this. I've been in stores where I see a student that I go, oh crap. Uh, let's go down the next aisle. And my wife's going, <laughs> "What are what are we doing?" Like I'm actively hiding. You know,
2: you know I, I saw even on the TED video, like you know, there's someone, you know, there's at least one kid going, "That's my drama teacher." You know, like you see a lot of that on the internet as well.
4: <laughs> That's
3: right in the comments.
4: Well, you know, with with my classes, I mean, I think there's there. I I want to try and have a good working relationship with my students, and I want them to you know, like understand that like all adults are not idiots that are trying to like make your life miserable. So I think if they had my class, you know, I I tend to remember kids names forever. So, you know, if, if I were to, you know, see somebody, I I know who they are and and they would be very comfortable coming up and talking to us and, you know, whatever. So
3: if a woman comes to you, let's say you're on, you know, in the Broadway district in New York city and a woman comes up to you and says, should I take my daughter to Greece or Godspell?" What do you say? (laughs)
4: Uh, Take it to Greece because it's far more interesting. Um, But maybe take it home. Is it
3: is it raw? (laughs) (laughs) Raw. Do you have a favorite, least favorite production as far as putting on a, a show?
4: Yeah, I'm you know, I'm I, I'm not really a big fan of musicals, like in general. Um, like as far as a genre is concerned, it, it's not it's not my favorite genre. Um so that kind of I, I find a little irritating. Um yeah, most musicals I, I find really insipid, and um I think they've <laughs> got a a lot of them have like really terrible messages.
2: Is Rock and Roll High School considered a musical? And would you ever do a production of rock and roll high school
4: um no well yeah that's a good question so can you so you know like there's there's always the can you whatever so if a play exists within like a, the play world and somebody owns the rights to it then yeah you can because like breakfast club would be great to adapt into a play but it, it's not available so it's not something that I could do so even if there's like really great stories that you can't like, sue you work. from the grave Right. Well, (laughs) but somebody owns, you know, the rights to all that. And, and because of that, like, I mean, you just, you can't, so you can't
3: purchase the rights or something that doesn't exist. That's what you're saying. Right.
4: Yeah. So, um, so I mean, and, and as far as rock and roll high school goes, I mean, I would definitely, even if that were a play version, I wouldn't want to do because I would hate to see people that somehow or another thought like, oh, the Ramones are kind of a joke. I just wouldn't do it, you know? And I wouldn't have to sit, Through and listen to like parents going, Wow, those are really stupid haircuts. (laughs) You know, I I wouldn't want to have to deal with that. So I heard there's
1: a play about the Ramones getting a a gun pulled on them by uh, Phil Spector. Oh,
4: (laughs) very topical. In fact, (laughs) Phil Spector died in Stockton. When he, there you go. Really, <laughs> he was out here in Stockton. I didn't know about it, but um, yeah, apparently he was he was in um, a prison here in Stockton. Wow. I mean, is is so, is
3: the prison a ma- the major industry there?
4: Um, no, but we certainly right. uh, have a lot of people that we churn out that are ready for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We do. I mean, you know, it's really cool because like my, my students, like when they when they graduate and they go to school, like say in Southern California or something, it's so funny because I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's school like for you now? And they said, well, I got this roommate. And, you know, when I told them where I was from, they got really nervous because they thought I was going to pull a gun on them or something. Stockton's got a really like, you know, kind of gnarly reputation.
1: That's because Phil specters.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, I, know. Maybe it's better, I know. it's better by one right now.
1: He pulled a gun? <laughs> I, I got one. Question that from earlier, yeah, you said that you um, or when you do the TED talk, you didn't like it that they said talk about anything, but like in school with uh, younger kids, they tell them things like write a small moment, write a small moment, and they just tell them write about anything, and then like one page, not enough, write two pages, right? But they're not giving them any direction. How do you feel about that?
4: You know, it's, it's really weird. It's like, be direct with what you want and don't be disappointed with the results if you're not, you know? So like, as far as I'm concerned, that's bad teaching. You know, if I you, agree. if you have like an expected outcome, you tell the students what you're looking for. You make it crystal clear because there shouldn't be any like dicking around where a kid's going, I don't know what's expected of, you know? Yeah, as-
1: give them some guidance so they get actually right about something and learn about it. And so if, if I gave you the number for Teachers College, would you call? them up and tell them that. <laughs>
4: I don't want to talk to anybody. They just go, What? You're a drama teacher in Stockton? Why am I talking to you?
1: Hopefully, hopefully the Columbia Teachers
4: College is listening to this podcast and and change that. Yeah, I, I I agree though. I mean, I think, you know, be really direct, be clear with what your your instructions are. And if you are, you know, have high expectations and hold kids to those. And I think it's always a really good idea to like push students, but you know, not when they don't even understand what what you wanted in the first place. I mean, that's that's bad teaching. Yeah, but I mean,
1: I think it's good to have like a, a content, content-rich content curriculum. So kids are really learning something of value, you know, something based, is not letting them go and be creative for the sake of being creative without anything behind it. Right. I and mean, like, for example, when my daughter was in third grade, you had the stuff with uh, Columbia Teachers College pushing this, write a small moment, write about small more about anything. But then they were doing a unit from our Core Knowledge on ancient Rome, and the teacher asked them a homework question. Why were why was virtue important to the ancient Romans? <laughs> so you know that was a you know that was something that they could really learn from what they were doing and express themselves as opposed to writing about something about how they walked down the street and found a penny that day right. or
3: something. Why is virtue important to your drama students?
1: <laughs> well, they were do, they were doing a unit on Cincinnatus, so you know it was, a, it was it was a good sure. question.
2: Charlie had a lot of uh, Avengers comic book questions for when we talked to Penelope Houston, but he hasn't asked you at all about. Out how apparently Stockton, California, is the home of the Fantastic Four. Is there a statue somewhere for that?
4: Wait, in, in what way? How is that? how California is
1: it Fantastic Four's in Manhattan. St- what are you Stan Lee
2: Stanley Stanley apparently named Stockton, California, as the home of of the Fantastic Four. But but it sounds like they left.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, it was so much... way, they They left to go to New York like everybody else would. Right. <laughs> yeah, I
4: mean, you know the uh, you know the Baxter buildings in New York. Like, there's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean people go to and people Stan Lee's end up in New York from Rockaways, so we got that. Oh yeah, I mean Stan I, I Lee There's is all about New York. About That's weird. Yeah, I've never heard anything like that. Ramones and Stan Lee both from
1: Queens for the <laughs> rest
4: of it. Yeah, I mean, what more do you want? I mean, like, you know, easily the two most influential things to me as a kid, punk rock and comic books. And in specific Marvel comic books. So you know the the fact that like both of those things are New York centric. I mean, come on, you you can't
2: really top that. The company I work for now, our first office building was 635 Madison, which was which was the original office for Marvel. Oh after, wow! And, yeah, I remember that. And we used to get like I guess whenever kids would look at old comics, they would send us fan letters sure and they would be addressed to spider-man or whatever so we started answering them because we were like we can't just leave these kids letters like un <laughs> unanswered so wow. we would get th- it wasn't that often because i think they it stopped being their offices in like 1972 or something like that so- no no
1: no it was their offices in the 80s because when i was in high school we used to go, oh, really? we looked at the address in the comic books, and we'd go to, the, to the, the building, to Marvel headquarters. And back then, you could just walk into office buildings. And we take the elevator up to the floor, and we'd, like, steal the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: I think the National, the national Lampoon and um, Spy Magazine were both in my building as well. Wow. Yeah. What about Mad so we Magazine? We didn't want
1: any National Lampoon with Spy Magazine.
2: Where was Mad Magazine? Was that in your building? No. I, was, were they based in New York?
1: I think yeah, they yeah, were definitely. Yeah, of course they were based in New York.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty New York.
3: <laughs> Have you ever met Chris Pierce? He uh he played in Doc Hopper. Yes. He has I- a crucified Alroy on his leg, I believe. <laughs> Tattoo.
4: I, I'm sure that I have, I mean, I remember Doc Hopper came through, came through Denver when I was living there, played the Mercury Cafe and, um, oh man, they were so great. So I'm sure that we did meet. Cause I, I remember one of the guys from the band sitting around having coffee with him beforehand and it must've been him because I'm, I'm sure we would have been talking about, you know, like all on that sort of thing. Um, um, Well, he's definitely had this tattoo forever.
3: (laughs) So I just wonder if he showed it to you or if he was embarrassed to show it to
4: you. (laughs) I want to say yes. I'm not positive, but I want to say yes. Okay. Well, he'll be
3: super happy that you like doc hopper i'm sure
4: (laughs) (laughs) i love doc hopper and didn't they start playing again a couple years back
2: yep that's so rad so my question to close it out is the traditional guidance counselor question between teaching and art chris if you were a millionaire would you still teach or would you just focus on art
4: so you mean if i were independently wealthy if you were
2: independently wealthy and you didn't and you didn't have to worry about making you know making ends meet with teaching and you could just technically focus on art if you wanted to would you still teach
4: you know, i probably would um would do just the artwork because you know i i love what i do you know in the classroom but my wife and i have always talked about it and um you know especially when i'm doing you know like plays and i'm i'm there a lot um i wind up becoming like a better mentor to other people's kids than my own and to me that's a problem you know it's like you know mr holland's opus i mean like a lot of a lot of people teachers in particular are like oh that was such a great movie and i don't think that it was because if you if you remember it he completely ignored his he son he left
1: his daughter and
4: yeah and you know and he also runs off you know almost runs off and has an affair with a student and i'm just thinking no you know maybe he did all these great things but there were a lot of things that as a teacher he put that above his family and He almost got on that bus. Yeah, and I think that's wrong. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my family is always going to be the most important thing to me. So if I don't have to split my time between them and anything else, I I won't, you know? And if I were independently wealthy, I wouldn't need to. And, um, you know, it wouldn't matter whether it was teaching or, you know, I I wrote a Zamboni for work or whatever. I would give that (laughs) up in a heartbeat beat just to spend all the time that I could with my family. So yeah, if I was independently wealthy, I would definitely. What if you had
1: to, what do they offer you to ride the Zamboni in the Stanley cup? Final?
4: That'd be fine. You know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I, I'm not a big hockey guy at all, but like, that'd be cool. Right. <laughs> I feel like you'd be, I felt the same way when I saw that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, to me, it's like, it, it's such a weird thing because so many people like applauded it and just said, oh, it was really great. And uh, and yeah. that's fine. I can understand like that temptation and then not doing it. But at the end of the day, you know, he was kind of a scuzz bag. But, but yeah, but you know, there's
1: this propaganda out there too, in general that like, because they're teachers, they're great people. Right. And that's not always the it's case. It's not,
4: no, it's absolutely not, you know, and, and. But we do know that all all principles are bad, people, yeah. aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like I said, we can edit anything I want out here. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
2: I feel like
4: awesome.
3: you could
2: also do... I feel like you could also do kind of like an Alan Lomax, like what he did with the blues, but you could just go from town to town and be like, you know, who's your local hardcore band or who's your who's your local punk rock band from the, oh, Dow Jones and the Industrials are from here? Point me to them. I have to draw them. Right, <laughs> Or I have, to, right. I have to drive my Zamboni into the show. <laughs> exactly.
4: You know, but but really having that time is is going to be really kind of coming sooner rather than later because, you know, I, I'm going to be at a point where I'll be retiring. And when I do, you know, the idea of just being able to be home and to do my artwork and, and just spend time with my family is, is going to be the best thing ever. And, you know, in a, in, in some extent I've kind of gotten that already because, you know, we, we've been, it's, I mean, it's, it's been, we're, we're rounding the corner on 11 months of being home. You know, I, I don't teach at school. I teach, you know, in my living room. So that's been really great. It's given me a taste of what, is to come in that you know i eventually i won't have to be going in at all and i can just you know spend time with the people that i chose to be with
0: that's great that's pretty great god
4: help us <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's it kids the gig is off the cops are here and your mom is going to jails hospitals and all your friends houses wondering where you've been Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have more and more at KilledByDesk.com.